God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you for the love that you have for us. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in each one of our lives and in the family, the church family, and in, and in our families individually. God, I want to thank you for the blessings that you pour out on us, for the opportunities that we have to serve you outside these walls. I pray that you would give us more of those opportunities and give us eyes to see them and notice them. Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, this is week number five in the book or in the life of David. And as, as I was preparing, I've noticed that I've noticed that the, the, the story builds on itself. And so if you've missed some of the story, some of David's story, I would encourage you to go back to the website and listen to them because they just continually build on one another as David becomes more aware of and lives in this deep rhythm of God. And so this morning, uh, we are actually not going to start in the story of David. We're going to start with the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Now, in the beginning of Mark's gospel, chapter 1, it's the story of Jesus being baptized. So, Jesus is being baptized to fulfill what the prophets would say. And so, he goes into the water, and as he's coming out of the water, it says the heavens open up. I believe what it says in the gospel of Mark is the heavens are, are torn open. And the Holy Spirit begins to descend upon him in the form of a dove. And then there's this, this voice that comes from heaven. And the voice says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so Jesus, he hasn't really started his ministry yet. So he goes to get baptized by John the Baptist. And this, this happens. What a confirmation for Jesus, for the Son of God. What a confirmation in his calling and in his anointing for the work that the Father will have him do. The Father is going to send Jesus out. And what, what happens here is there's this very unique relationship that God has with Jesus. And there's very unique work that Jesus is going to have to do. His work can only be done by him. I, I don't want to bust your bubble, but none of you would have the opportunity or could ever be Messiah. Though I know some of you think you are, but you can never actually fulfill that. Only Jesus is going to be able to fulfill the work that the Father has set before him and there's this confirmation this beautiful moment i'm sure people are like whoa what's that whoa really we're gonna do a baptism and i tell the people in the baptism class if a dove comes from heaven and lands on you the church is yours man i'm resigning and this is what happens to jesus and now the word, and, and I don't think it, I think yes, in part because he's fully human and fully God, that, that it was, it was an encouragement to him, but he knew these things. He knew who he is in, in the big scheme of things and in, in God's economy. He knew what he had come to do, but there's this, just the confirmation for him inside and the world now knows here's the Messiah. This is my son. I love you. Well, pleased with you. Jesus will begin his ministry. But then we come upon this verse in Mark chapter 1. It says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels 
attended him. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And it wasn't like a little, come on, come on, you, you, can, you can head out there, Jesus, go ahead. It it's more has this feeling of like, really just like pushed him out there at once. And it connects, those two little words connect Jesus' baptism with immediately following that, he is being sent out into the wilderness. Just because the Holy Spirit has descended upon him in the form of a dove, just because the Father has spoken these words over him, you're my son, I love you. It's with you that I'm, I'm pleased. It's not going to be all rainbows and glitter for Jesus. He is sent out into the wilderness. And you know what he finds out there? It's, it's a harsh place. He finds wild animals. And Satan is there. Satan is there. And Satan is going to tempt him. Jesus is being tempted. And in this temptation that Satan is going to try, he's going to try to frustrate the plans of God by kind of calling Jesus off his game. Trying to distract him. Trying to get him to, to think about some other things. And I believe that that was the hardest part for him because that's, it was something very deep and spiritual, these temptations. Satan is waiting for him in the wilderness. But even that, this whole thing is still, it still all plays into God's plan. Because it was the Spirit who sent him out. The Holy Spirit wasn't like, all right, Jesus, I want you to go out in the wilderness for a while. And if you go travel about a day out, there's a herd of camels, take a right. And you're going to come over the hill and there's going to be a nice place. And it's going to be called Oasis. And you can just hang there, eat some pomegranates, drink some water, rest up for your time in ministry. That's not, and, and, and then he gets out there and the Holy Spirit is like, oh God, Jesus is uh, in the Satan. Oh, this can't be good. He knew what he was doing. And the Holy Spirit sends him out there. To be tempted. In the Gospel of Matthew and Luke, they will, um, they will list a few of those temptations, at least the big three. Satan comes upon him after he's been there for a long time, 40 days-ish. And, he, and Jesus is hungry, it says in their account. And Satan comes up to him and says, hey Jesus, if you're really that hungry, why don't you just turn these rocks into bread? And he takes him to, to a mountaintop and he says, look at all of this I will give you if you just bow down and you just worship me. He takes him to the, to the highest point of the temple and says, go ahead, man, throw yourself down. You know that God's going to protect you. They're going to send angels. You're not even going to hurt your big toe. You're not going to stub your toe. And Jesus stands firm. But what's very interesting is in two of those temptations, Satan says this. If you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, Throw yourself off the mountain. You won't even, or off the temple. You won't, you're not even going to stub your toe. God will take care of you. See, the real temptation for Jesus wasn't if he was going to be obedient or not. The real temptation was Satan is trying to get him to doubt who he is. Just previously, God said, you're my son. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And now Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt his calling, doubt his anointing, doubt what God has spoken over him. Jesus, if you really believe you're the son of God, if you really believe God, go ahead. Take matters into your own hands. You don't need him. You can fix all this. Jesus, you know what? If you're really the son of God, you don't have to go to the cross. I will give you all of this. 
all of this will be yours if you just worship me. You can take the easy route. Fix it yourself. Do it yourself. Take this into your own hands. You don't need him. You're the son. And he's pleased with you, so he's not going to be upset with you. Jesus is in the wilderness. And at this point in time, he's weak and he's vulnerable. He's being tempted. These are temptations. These are things that he's wrestling with in his soul. It's not like Jesus, hey, you're hungry, turn this rock into glass and chewed broken glass. It was bread. He was hungry. And I'm sure he was a little stressed out over having to go to the cross. He says, you don't have to go. I'll just, I'll just give you everything anyway. Even for the Son of God, he was open to this temptation, open to doubt who he is, who God has called him to be. For Jesus, it would prove to be a testing ground of his trust in the Father and who he is in the Father. David, in his story, remember last week, he leaves the sanctuary and he's got his bread and he's got a sword and he's spoken to the priest and he heads out he heads out into he heads out into the unknown and uh out there he's fighting and he's running around and he's doing some things and he's trying to figure it out and Saul finally realizes that King Saul finally realizes that David's out there and Saul goes after him and it's funny because the story says that Saul believes that God has given David into his hands so Saul can kill David but the king is is very wrong and so David's out there and he gets he gets wind of this whole plot that Saul is coming after him and he's in and Saul is going to get him and I'm going to go really fast over the next two slides because I put them in the wrong order but here's the text and this is what it says as David heads out it says he stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph day after day Saul searched for him but God did not give David into his hands. David hunkers down in the wilderness. And it's a harsh place. It's, it's not a place you would want to go hang out. There's scorpions out there. Wild animals. There's not a lot of food. There's not a lot of water. There's not a lot of trees for, for shade. There's only caves and wild beasts. And, and, and it would make any person nervous to be out there. In fact, even Bear, bear grills would have a tough time hanging out there. Trying to find stuff to eat, trying to travel, trying to get to the helicopter that's going to take him out. He would even make a whole hour special with this one. Because it's a hard place. See, in Connecticut, we don't fully understand wilderness. Because in Connecticut, we don't have any. We have what we call woods. Okay, we don't know wilderness. We have woods. And when we go into the wilderness, we follow the red trail, the blue trail, the yellow trail, the double blue trail. And we walk around. And then we walk around and we find a nice picnic bench by the little lookout on the pond. And there's porta potties where you can go relieve yourself comfortably in the woods. Though they might stink a little bit, but at least they're there for you. We have, we have these things called state parks. And if you want to go swim in the pond, you have to make sure that you go to the beach area where the lifeguard is and and, and swim there. See, we don't really fully understand the idea, the idea of wilderness. We have woods. And I, I would say this, I would say if you get lost hiking in Connecticut for more than, 
I'll give you an hour. For more than an hour before you come to a road or a house or a farm, you should quit hiking. Hang up your shoes and mall walk because it'll be much safer for everyone involved. Because we just don't fully understand this idea of wilderness. In 1998, uh, my brother used to live in the mountains of of California, Northern California, um, Eureka, Arcata. He lived, I think it's called Orleans. And uh, you fly into San Francisco, and then you take a little puddle jumper up, and you go to Arcata, and then you take Highway 299, and you follow that for like two hours into the wilderness. Like, this is, this is nothing. There is there's, there's nothing. And you come into this little town that he lived in, and it's, it's actually um, the, the town... It has the barbershop, and this is no joke, barbershop, the uh, package store, the general store, and the post office all in one store, and the mayor worked there. And, and so that's, that's the way it was. And then they had one restaurant, and there's only really three kinds of people up there that, that I met. There was, there was the Native Americans, okay, and, and they lived up there. Then there was the, 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 the rednecks, but they're different. They're, they're like northern rednecks, not like the southern. They're different, and they're just, they seemed a little bit ornerier up there in, in the north country, you know. And, and the rednecks, is that a derogatory term, redneck? Is it? Because everybody happy, happy, happy. I, I don't know. So, and, and, and so, so, so you, have, you have them, those people, and then you have the Native Americans, and, and they don't like each other. And then you have the hippies. And my brother was part of the hippie crowd. And they just love everybody because, well, that's what they do. They're hippies. And, 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 and that's just, it, that's what it was. And he lived in this very commune-esque place, and uh, they didn't have running water. They had some Christmas lights for electricity that was run by an extension cord like seven miles long. And, and I remember my sister-in-law going, I'm an American and I deserve to have a toilet in my house. She was very upset because they had a platform out in the woods with no walls. And that was, and you looked out, it was a beautiful scene, but it was, you could be seen by everybody. And, and, and so that's just kind of the, the place that they lived. And one night he took me up to uh, this mountain. I don't even remember the name of the mountain, mountain range. And uh, we drove there and we went up a fire road. And the fire roads are cut into the woods so that they could get, I guess, fire trucks up there in case the, the forest catches on fire because that's a no joke out there. And uh, so we drive like this hour. We saw a wild cow. This, this cow comes flying across this fire road. And I was like, what is that? He goes, it's a wild cow. Wild cow? The cows live in farms in a barn. There's no such thing as a wild cow. Oh, yeah, we got wild cows up here. You don't want to mess with them. It's a cow. But it's a wild cow. I'm from Connecticut. We have moo cows. I mean, I mean, not wild cows. So, so anyway, so we, we travel up this road, and, and what we're gonna, what he wants to show me is he wants to show me the sunset because he said it's beautiful. And so we get all the way to the top about an hour in, and 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 we're hanging out there. He says, "Listen, don't walk away too far if you have to go to the bathroom because there's mountain lions and there's there's uh, wolves up here." And I'm like, "I'm from Connecticut." We, we don't have that here. And I look out, and there's nothing but woods for forever. There's, there's no roads. There's no street lights. There's, there's no car lights. There's no porch lights. There's, there's, it's, just, it's just wilderness. Like, get lost and die and hurt yourself wilderness. Get eaten by something wilderness. And I remember just, just standing there in awe of this, like, oh, my goodness, we don't have this in Connecticut. 
And, and, and I would say the ridge that the sun was setting, I'm going to guess, and, and I don't know, but, but it, it was like it was like 100 miles that way. And, and, and I did, those were some pictures. Back then we had film, remember that? And so there were no digital cameras, but, but that's, that's what we were watching. And the other one is a little better. And that ridge, on this ridge over here, you could see, you can't see it in the picture, but you can see the giant redwoods that would just tower over the landscape. And, and, and it was just, it was just amazing and it was beautiful. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't hear. There was, there was no, there was no, you ever hear nothing? I mean, I'm standing there going, I don't, it's so quiet. And, and, and I said to my brother, I said, do you hear that? And he goes, what, the high pitched noise? I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking like, this is area 52, man. Like something's going down here. There's, there's a, there's a government plot. And he goes, he goes, yeah, that'll, that'll go away in a few months after you've been here. Because we're always used to hearing something in Connecticut. We're never just fully quiet. There's always the car, the, the, the fan with the white noise. There's always something. But there it was so quiet. And I sat there and I just took it all in. And I felt myself, my, my senses started to just, just come to life. The, the air was just so clean and pristine. It was, it was like... It was like the best uh, fall day in Connecticut on steroids. You know that, that crispness in the air? It was just beautiful in the sights. And, and, then, and then you can start hearing. And wilderness noises are different from the woods noises. Every noise I heard was the, the mountain lion coming to get me. But I was cool. And, 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 so, and, and I'm just looking out there. And, and I just I had this moment of just recognizing sacredness. And holiness and the sunset was amazing. But when the sun went down, it was dark. Like, okay, let's get in the car and go. Dark. See, the wilderness for me in that point was, was something different. It was, it was sacred and holy. And, and, and for me, that's, that's where I, I, I connect most with God. Outside, in the outdoors. And there's something about it. I just have this sense of otherness. And holiness, and, and, and it just has this come to life feeling. I mean, I hope someday I get to I get to uh, retire in some little cabin somewhere in the woods with my wife, of course, where it snows a lot. Because there's something special about it. But yet, in that beauty. I still recognized how remote it really was, how dangerous and uncontrolled it could be. And, I mean, mountain lions and bears, not campsite bears, you know, the ones that come and get your garbage around here. No, we're talking bears that want to eat your innards bears. I mean, like bears. And so in this beauty, there's this tension of, of terror and pain and, 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 and being scared. And there's always tension in the wilderness. I mean, we can look at the beauty and still see the danger. We can feel the simplicity and the purity of it and still understand that there are things out here that can threaten your life. I mean, if you've really been out there, if you've ever had that experience of being out there, there's this paradox of reality. It's so beautiful, but yet it could be very, very dangerous. 
That's what the wilderness is. And that's why I believe that for most of us, we live in houses in the cities and in towns. We don't like to stay out there in the wilderness because we can feel that tension. We don't like to live in that tension. When we have to go to the bathroom, we close the door and we have flush toilets. And we get our water from from a faucet. We turn the knob, the water comes out, and we get our water. We heat our houses with furnaces. And most of us will just turn the little knob and the furnace will kick on and you can hear it kick on and the warmth will come. And we cool our houses with these machines that hang out the window and we set the little thermostat and it's nice and cool. We get our food from a store and we go and we, we go shopping and we get our food at a big store and our fish don't come from a river. They come from behind a glass case and they're all laid out nicely on ice and we buy them that way and it's comfortable and there is no tension. Stop and shop is not the wilderness. And see, we don't <laughs> Walmart. And so we don't we don't like to live out there. When the bugs come into our house, what do we do? We spray. When the critters come into our yard, what do we do? In our fenced-in yard, we get little traps and we catch them. Or if you're like me, you get your pelican out and you pop them dead and you throw them in the stream. But but I mean that's 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 what we do. And we don't like the tension of the wilderness. And so we live in the safety of our house. In our town, in our community, David was forced to run out into the wilderness. And not only was it, was it geographic, but it was this, this internal wilderness that he, that he was experiencing. It was spiritual. It was emotional. He felt lonely. He felt pushed out there. It was hard. There was, there was the heat of the desert. And he found himself out there. Uh, Eugene Peterson would call it not necessarily geographical, but more a circumstantial wilderness. And I will say this, that everyone who follows God and everyone who chooses not to follow God will one day, one day find themselves on, uh, in that place of being out in the wilderness, out in that place where there's just nothingness and there's barren and it's barren and you're lonely and, and there's, there's threats coming at you at all sides. It's just, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's part of our human condition. It's part of our human nature. And I'll tell you, when, when you're forced out there by forces other than yourself, it gives it a whole different feel. And things are different out there. We've all been there. I don't think there's a single person in this room that can say, I've never been out there. I mean, you know, life is going along and, and life is going along as, as good as life can be. And, and things are just kind of happening and moving. And, and everybody in your family is healthy and your family is getting along well. And you have your home. And yeah, your home needs a little work, but it's a home and it's not just a house. And, and there's, there's a place of rest there. And your job is kind of secure. It's pretty secure in our economy, but you're not really worried about too much. And you got, you're saving a little money and you're paying the bills and you're planning a little vacation this year. You've been saving for that for a while. You really need a vacation. And you just bought your brand new used car and it's a really nice brand new used car it's 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 new for you and and it's got low miles but it's kind of old it's about 10 years old but still you got a good deal extended warranty from the factory it's all good right and things are just moving along nicely and you got good friends and you're spending time together with your good friends and your family (laughs) you haven't been to church in a month because you're spending time with your good friends don't think i don't notice that and and so but but things are still things are still going along nicely and you and god you and god are even doing well you know you're feeling you're feeling like you're 
you're feeling spiritual, you're reading the Bible, you're praying a little bit, you know, and, and, and there just seems to be this healthy rhythm that's happening in your life. There's this good cadence that's taking place and things are going along well. And then all of a sudden it happens and it can be defined in a thousand different ways, but it happens. And things, things just get out of whack, out of rhythm. The cadence just kind of goes away. And you don't, you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what's going on within you. You don't understand what's going on with that person. But it is happening. And it's uncomfortable. And you don't know what to do. And, and change is forced upon you. And you don't have a choice. And you didn't choose this. But change is forced upon you in that relationship. Or in your health. Or what do you mean we're downsizing? And then you find yourself running. And maybe not, it's, it's not a physical running, but, but just, you're just uneasy on the inside. And you're running and you're looking and you're searching. And when the dust finally settles, you find yourself alone out in the wilderness. And you're nervous. And you're scared. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to handle this. It feels so remote. And it feels so lonely. And, 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 and you feel this tension and nothing seems to be right. And, and even your body can start to ache because everything just seems out of whack. But I will tell you this. That if you would allow yourself to be present to it. Be present to those times out there. You could become even more aware of the mysteries of God. You could become aware of just how precious life really is. You could become aware that, you see, in the wilderness, it seems to be the place where we deal with God the most. When we're in that lonely, hard place in the desert, we seem to deal with God the most. When it's all going well all the time, that doesn't force us to our knees. When it all falls apart, that's when we start to look at our knees and look at them and they're bloodied because we spent so much time there seeking and going after God. Because he's there in that hard place. David, David is on the run in the desert, in the wilderness, and he's running, and he's fighting, and he's hiding. And the whole time there, there's this, there's this constant thread that's going through his life. And that thread is he is dealing with God more and more, moment by moment. He's dealing with God. You have to deal with God. How else can you survive out there unless you're dealing with God? And the more that he will deal with God, the more human he becomes. The more, the more of David he becomes. See, when God calls you and anoints you, you cannot be all that he has called you to be unless you begin to deal with him and become intimately relational with him. And the more intimate we become with the Lord, the more we become ourselves, the more human we become. And we begin to see holiness and sacredness in places that we never expected to see it. We begin to see beauty in places that once only looked hard. 
It's not like all of a sudden these things have become holy or they've become sacred. But we're starting to see things now with different eyes. We're starting to discern things a little differently. We're starting to be, we're starting to see beyond what is in front of us. We're starting to discern the deeper things, other things. We're starting to discern God things. See, being in the wilderness will change you. And if your focus is on you, it'll change you one way. But if you would focus on God, you'll be changed in a different way. Because look what happens to David. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. And David is still out in the wilderness, in the desert. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said, Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. The stage is set literally for David to pounce. The king, okay, okay, the king has now been caught on the throne with his pants down. I mean, literal translation right there. And David, David could end it. But David has been dealing with God. David has been out in the wilderness and he's been dealing with God because that's what the wilderness forces us to do. And something has changed within him and something continues to change. Holiness is not just some, some idea over there or some certain place. There is sacred and holiness in just ordinary things and things where you normally wouldn't see it. The presence of God is everywhere. Not just in things that labeled Christian or holy or church. The presence of God is everywhere. And David is being changed in the solitude of that desert. And living in a cave with his men. He is, he's no longer distracted by everything else. He's no longer distracted by all of these people who are telling him to do this, do that, put this armor on, be this way. He's able to focus solely on, on what God may be doing. And in those moments, in those moments where he's experienced the joy of the Lord, even out there, he has, he has learned how precious life is 
all life, even the life of the king that wants him dead. David could have ended it, but he chose not to. We have all been in that place, that dry, desert, parched land, and it feels dangerous. And because, because it is, and you feel abandoned and alone because maybe you are, and you're unsure of who you are, who you're supposed to be. You don't even know yourself anymore. And you're wrestling with that. And our temptation in those moments is to take matters into our own hands. Because, because this, is, this cannot be what God would have for me. God would have never have done this to me. And what we want to do is we want to try to alleviate our suffering as quick as possible. We want to make our uncomfortable as comfortable as possible. And we'll do anything and everything to try to do that. Whatever it takes. And you're even tempted to worship something other than God. Because God is, this is, this is no way for you to treat your son God. Son God, that just sounded new age. But it wasn't. David went through the same thing. I could imagine him in the back of that cave, hot and hungry, with his men. And he could have just went up there and just, and just stuck his sword, Goliath's sword, into Saul. And it would have been over. No more running, no more wilderness, no more fear. But he chose to turn and look outside of himself. And he chose to turn to the Lord his God and take refuge in him. Everything around him seems to be falling apart. He was anointed as the king. He goes, he goes to work for the king. And then all of a sudden now he's on the rung because the king wants him dead. Yeah, gee, thanks a lot, God. This is a really good plan. Thanks for just dragging me out here. Thanks for setting this whole thing up. His friends even want him to end it. Saul, this is, uh, um, David, this is not right. That You shouldn't be living in a cave. This is the day that the Lord has given you to kill him. Now you should just go and take care of this and kill him. And for David, it's all around him. All of the hardness and the hardship is around him. But inside of him, something different is taking place. Something different is changing. And we, and we can learn about the interior life of David as he writes them in the Psalms. See, out here in, in Samuel, we see this whole, what's happening around and outside of David and the circumstances he finds himself in. But in the Psalms, David writes what, what's taking place inside of him. And Psalm 57 is the Psalm that is attributed to this experience with David as he's in the cave. And I just want to read you a few lines of it. David would write, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. David is not asking God to fix it. David is not asking God to save him. He's just going, you know, God, I'm looking to you until this all blows over. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those hotly, who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. <laughs> He's hiding in a cave in the desert from his enemy. 
and it's, it's, he takes refuge. His refuge isn't the cave. His refuge is not a geological, a geographical location. It's not his men that are with him. It's not himself or his own plan. It's not the sword of Goliath. The refuge that David would seek out in the wilderness is God himself. In you, God, I take refuge. In you, God, I will look to you. It's in, in, in that place, in that place of refuge with the Lord his God, it's where he is saved. It's where the God pours out his love. It's where God can prove his faithfulness in those hard, barren times. God is still present. He's found goodness in the midst of trouble. He's found that beauty that's still within the tension of being out in the wilderness. David is running for his life in fear and doubt. And as he's running, he looks to God. And as he's running for his life, he finds his life. And that life is the Lord, his God. And no longer does Saul define who David is. And no longer does fear and doubt define who David is. The wilderness will no longer define David because of his experiences with God, because of what he has gone through. What now defines David is the words that God spoke over him. That he is anointed and called And he begins to believe what God has said about him. And he doesn't have to take matters into his own hands. Because he knows if he did, that he would take the matter right out of God's hands. And that's never good. In fact, it always goes bad when we try to strip God of of what he does best, caring for his children. And we try to do it ourselves. It will never end well. And David trusts. David trusts what God will do. And he doesn't have to be the mighty king and slay his enemy. You see, I know that there are those of you in this room. And there's parts of your life that are falling apart. And things are not going well. And you've been hurt And you're dealing with that hurt and it doesn't seem right and you don't understand it and you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you can't figure it out, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to turn. You feel just out there in the wilderness and you're afraid and you're nervous. But I'm telling you, I am telling you, God is there. God is there in those hard places. God is just waiting for you to turn your eyes to him for your strength, for your solace, for your building up, for your encouragement. The words that the Lord spoke over Jesus, he speaks over each one of us. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm well pleased with you. Will you believe that? Will you walk in that? Because if you walk in that truth, if you walk with that truth and look up, you don't need to walk with your head bowed anymore. You can walk with your head held high, your shoulders back, because the Lord your God loves you. And he is in the midst of the darkness and the brokenness and the desert and the wilderness. He is the beauty that's there. He is the sunrise that's there. He is the sunset that's there. He is the color across the skies that are there. Even though there are things that can come out and hurt you, 
He is there. And he, he's willing and wanting to change you from the inside out. And you see, when that change begins to take place, uh, things start to look a little different. And you begin to see the beauty that's around you. Even the beauty that's in the heartache and the hardship. Even, even the circumstance that pushed you out into the wilderness doesn't seem all that bad anymore. Even that person who has pushed you out into the wilderness doesn't seem that bad anymore. That their life would even become precious because God loves them also. I'd like to read you the entire Psalm 57 that David writes about his experience that, that day. He writes, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spares and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I, I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. As David was in the dark cave that day, when it all seemed to fall apart around him, 